0: And welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, your co-host and moderator for this episode. Uh, Joining me is someone whose favorite is apricot, Lily. (laughs) Hello there. And joining us is someone whose favorite is apricot, Sean.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's true. Apricot. It's apricot.
0: That depends on where you're from. Apricot. Potato, potato.
1: Tomato, tomato.
0: Well, this week we watched the first episode of Humans, the British sci-fi drama about the unfolding consequences of one family's decision to purchase a synthetic human whose past is surrounded by mystery. It was directed by Samuel Donovan and written by Sam Vincent and Jonathan Brackley, and it aired on AMC in the U.S. and Channel 4 in the U.K. on June 14th, 2015.
1: This is a really excellent show. can't recall how I heard of it at first. I know, Scott, you said that it was available on iTunes for a while as a free download, correct?
0: Yeah, and they keep showing it as a uh, editor's pick as well.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I-, I heard about it somewhere and was able to acquire a copy of it. I actually think I saw the, uh, the British version, the Channel 4 version, which I was curious to talk to you guys about how different it is from the um, AMC version, which I don't think it's too different.
0: No, probably but just I... a- editing differences.
1: Yeah, possibly.
0: Because this, this is a co-production. It, it was uh, It's a co-production of Channel 4 UK and AMC, but originally it was actually going to be a co-production of Channel 4 UK and Xbox Entertainment Studios. But uh, after Microsoft closed that branch down, AMC stepped in and, and joined up with them, and uh, they were able to resume the production.
1: Well, th- you know what? This is a, a genre that I am very interested in. I don't know about you guys. We could talk more about this, but... I'm a big fan of the Isaac Asimov-type robot genre, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. All the Asimov-inspired stuff, I, I'm a big fan of. And we'll talk more about that. There's some references to Mr. Isaac as we go into the episode. Yes. Yeah.
2: For me, I think I'm less in love with that genre. It has to be done tastefully because to me it seems kind of like... Nah, you know? I don't know. I don't know how to describe the feeling that I have without making that noise. <laughs> nah. Yeah, exactly.
1: You don't think this was tasteful, this episode?
2: Um, I think I would have to watch more to actually get into it. It wasn't bad. Yeah.
1: It really opens up some mysteries that they talk about as the season goes on. A lot of the things that we'll discuss in this episode really reveal themselves and are explained quite well. Just as a little spoiler if you go into the... Watch more than one episode of this show. It gets more interesting if you weren't thrilled by this first one, let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, it's an, it's an unfolding mystery. And this is actually an adapted show from the Swedish television show Ekta Menehor, or Real Humans in English. And that began airing on SVT in Sweden in the year 2012. And we'll have more on that later. But like Sean said, you know, it's it's been praised by critics, not so much for its originality... But for its exploration of themes uh, that have been used throughout works of, like, uh, the works of Asimov, as Sean mentioned. Specifically the iRobot anthology. Not so much the movie, because the the movies, that's a fake Asimov work. Oh my goodness. They just, they slapped on the three laws. I got problems with that movie. Anyway. uh, (laughs) (laughs) But also Blade Runner. If you guys have ever seen Blade Runner... It's a very reminiscent of that kind of story. In fact, I, I wouldn't have even minded if they made this a prequel to Blade Runner. And in some ways, it, it almost seems like it, it definitely could have been. But uh, if you haven't seen Blade Runner, it's on TV all the time.
1: Have you seen that before, Lily? Being younger?
2: Um, I've seen bits and pieces, not in it, the Blade Runner its entirety.
1: Yeah, I, believe it or not, have not seen it. And that's pretty amazing, because I usually really gravitate towards the sci-fi stuff, and that's one I haven't gotten to watch yet. I'm going to definitely keep a lookout for it on TV.
0: All right, so let's get right into this episode. So the the show opens in a sterile white warehouse, and it's filled with these human replicants. Of course, replicants is... I'm using the, the Blade Runner terminology here, but they're called synthetics, or synths for short, and they're standing single file in their underwear... And they're deactivated, and this guy closes up for the night. But after he leaves, we see one that seems to be active, and she kind of like looks up through a skylight at the moon.
1: I'm curious why they're wearing underwear at all. Yeah,
2: that's true. <laughs>
1: well, it's,
0: it is a television show.
1: Yeah, I mean, just say going outside the television show. I mean, why? What's the purpose, or what's the the thinking about having them have underwear on, not just full, either full clothes? Or no clothes until they're purchased. And, you know, I expect it to be like a Barbie where you have to buy accessories for it, you know, and you have to bring <laughs> it shopping to the Gap. And
2: yeah, whoever's thing. making these is capitalizing on all the accessories.
1: Yeah, <laughs> really. I mean, you, you would want to accessorize and make Beachgo in synth <laughs> and you know, formal wear synth. And I don't understand why. I guess I could wear normal clothes, of course, but why wouldn't you just have it be naked well, or, or put it in a, a generic jumpsuit or something?
0: According to the the humans wiki here, it says that the underwear is made out of Kevlar and it covers very sensitive gears and instrumentation panels.
1: Kevlar? No, I just made that up. Who Uh. knows? (laughs) (laughs) I I thought you were uh, serious here for a second. It's like, that's an interesting place to store uh, (laughs) sensitive components of a... uh, I guess it makes sense, though.
0: So then we cut to the busy household of the Hawkins family, where the father, Joe, played by Tom Goodman Hill, is trying to take care of household chores, while the mother, Laura Hawkins, played by Sean's favorite actress, uh, Katherine Parkinson.
1: She is. I, this is one. I was just a pleasant surprise when I started watching this show, because I didn't know she was in it at first. And as soon as so the minute I saw Miss Parkinson, I was enthralled. <laughs> I love Katherine Parkinson. She's my favorite.
0: <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, she was previously on The IT Crowd. Very influential in cult British comedy. Yes. Yeah. Now, Laura Hawkins uh, is away for work on a case, or at least that's what she's claiming. It didn't really look like she was away for work.
1: She seemed to be in a hotel room. Yeah. Doing nothing.
0: And, and she tries to call Joe on her phone, but then she decides not to speak and she hangs
3: up.
2: It reminded me of the scene from I. Uh, IT crowd where she's trying to pitch the abracadabra to the panel of on the <laughs> like uh, Shark Tank esque. Oh, it, wasn't it Dragons Den? Dragons Den, yeah. Dragons Den, Dragon's yeah. Den. yeah.
1: Same acting style. She's yeah, the same same motivation. Like, yeah. Scene. So we, I think we can get the idea that things aren't uh, very good in this household, in the Hawkins household at this time. There's some tension between the family, husband and the wife especially.
0: Yeah. So, Joe gets fed up, and he decides to go shopping, and he he brings his young daughter, Sophie. And we immediately cut back to the warehouse where there is a female synth, played by Gemma Chang, and she's being wheeled down a corridor, and Joe's being handed papers by a salesman who assures him that, you know, this is the best thing that he can do for his family. He has 30 days to return, no questions asked, and (laughs) then her body bag is unzipped. It's very creepy. Very creepy. (laughs) She's booted up by a touch under the chin, and then she kind of looks at them with her glowing blue eyes.
1: Yeah, and another question raised. So they're in underwear in the factory. Now she's in clothes, but they put her in a bag and wheel her out. Why not just walk her out? Turn her on and walk her out instead of putting her in the bag? I don't know. I mean, you have to either pick her up and put her in the bag, or you have to tell her to get in the bag and then turn her off. It seems very inefficient to me.
2: I don't like that they look like humans at all. I think if we're gonna have robot helpers, I don't want them to look like something I would have feelings for. (laughs) I don't know. That's that's just me.
0: Yeah, well, that's kind of like what the show is going for—is like, what does it really mean to be human? And hence the name. Yeah, it's going to explore those themes. But as far as like not, you know, bringing her out in a bag and everything, it just reminds me of buying like computer components. (laughs) Yeah. You get those flimsy plastic bags, and it's
2: a
1: static bag, so she has got yeah. get, you know. Yeah, exactly.
0: She's
2: I wonder if she, they bought the protection plan for
1: her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, e o payments of twenty nine ninety five a month.
0: Yeah, I wonder what actually this cost. Did they mention? I, I think they they say it's comparable to a car, right?
1: Yeah, they said they mentioned it was over in a later scene when Joe's trying to justify his purchase to his wife. She asks if they can afford it, and basically he he says it's his over five year payment plan. And it's less than the cost of a car, so you could, I guess, say it's probably something that might put some families out, and not everyone can have. So you're probably looking at you know ten to fifteen thousand dollars, yeah, possibly over five years. So, you know, hundred bucks a month, a couple hundred bucks a month.
0: And another thing is, you know, her eyes. It, it, in this show, although the synths they look human, they're very easy to discern while watching the show. For one thing, their movements are very stilted. There's a great yeah. great way that they do that in this show like you know they don't move naturally and their skin is very smooth and unnatural looking. It almost looks like a, like a fake material and, and most notably their eyes like I said, it's like these iridescent shades of, of green and blue you know just enough to look human but still the qualities of them are very unnatural.
2: Yeah, And in an interview, um, Gemma Chan said that she and all the other synth actors in the series had to go through some sort of, like, synth acting school.
1: Oh, wow. It shows. Yeah,
2: yeah, very well done.
1: Special effects-wise, I mean, the costs are down by doing it this way. There's no real need for prosthetics or anything. They probably, I mean, either contact lenses that are colored or something that they put in, or it's just, you know cgi after the fact or special effects after the fact that they make the eyes this color with that little weird tinge so that was smart on their part not to make them have like a you know a panel on their forehead or something that you know (laughs) they have to put on every time or some weird other characteristic that would involve more prosthetics yeah basically you can make anyone a synth in in five minutes you know
0: so now the the salesman leaves joe and his daughter are left to configure the synth and uh, Joe begins with the code dandelion three waterfall two hummingbird one seashell, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then she shakes Joe's hand to, I guess, take a DNA sample.
1: Yeah, she they said? said to to verify him as a primary user and to get a you know baseline, probably identification, just in case someone that looked exactly like him ever came up to her and you know ordered to do something. Yeah, mm-hmm. she could that- verify it's really him.
2: That um, seven word activation phrase um, was kind of paying homage to the 2001 film AI, where a robot child is designed to love unconditionally and all of that. But um, that's kind of where they got that silly little nonsense phrase from.
1: Yeah, I remember that. That's in, in basically an AI, because it was replacing a child, correct? Like the, the AI child? Um, yes. Who was injured or, or something. They basically told the mother when before she said those things that was basically a permanent change like once she said those phrase to the to the robot android whatever it would be linked to her forever so to be very careful before they couldn't like reset it or anything it was like a permanent change so Hmm. it's the same kind of deal but i think these synths you can kind of just format them and good to go you know
0: although she does mention that once she shakes his hand she is bonded to him as the primary user
1: yeah which comes, in fact, actually in the later episodes, the primary secondary user, because she does the same thing in the later scene with uh, the creepy son. Yeah. Yeah. Toby, <laughs> uh, who's very creepy to me, she shakes his hand too. as a secondary user. So, per, it's access levels there that you know they can't do certain things or order to do certain things that the the primary user can do. It's actually kind of funny in the later episodes. I'm not going to give it away, but. He tries some shenanigans with her, <laughs> and uh, she basically says, "Oh, I have to tell the primary user that," and he freaks out. It's it's very funny.
0: <laughs> so now the opening credits begin, and we get a montage of robots throughout history, from sci-fi movies to you know like rudimentary automatons, and then we start to see chess-playing robots and news items that jobs will be lost to. The science fiction future of synthetic skin and body parts, and the the news of the first synthetic human. We also see a montage of newspaper clippings, including one from the Boston Times. Did you guys catch that?
1: I didn't see that. No. I thought that I was pretty either. funny.
0: And, and we see news broadcasts from all around the world, including a reporter speaking in Swedish, which is a you know a nod to the original series.
1: What did the Boston Globe article say? Is it legible at all, or just?
0: Well, it was Boston Times. They had a, Times. They had to okay. create their own. And, and another thing that was funny is that it was incorrectly dated 20th January 2015. <laughs> of course, oh, so in,
1: using the English uh, yes. or the European uh, date system, huh? So that, that's interesting, though, because it kind of puts it in, in modern times. You know, I was kind of thinking of that the whole episode. Like, when is it supposed to take place? Is this the far future? But then we see some very contemporary devices like iPhones uh, iPads or tablets that they're using to sign off on stuff. So I guess, you know, it's supposed to take place modern time, like now, and they just have these super advanced synths.
0: Yeah, and what I've from what I've read, it takes place in a parallel present, and that's what the opening credits are supposed to keep, you know, get us up to speed. Uh, we start from the same point where there's robots and sci-fi dating back to, you know, the 50s, but then the timeline diverges from ours in the sense that now they're able to create synthetic humans and synthetic body parts, and these start to uh, threaten uh, actual human labor, and they've just become a part of everyday life. And that, that Boston newspaper is dated, you know, the beginning of 2015. Yeah. So we're, we are to presume that this does take place probably around the time it airs, probably 2015, 2016, something like that. So, so definitely a parallel present and not, not the future.
1: It's interesting too, just to talk about the technology. You think there'd be more advanced technology if these synths are around. There's a scene in the later in the episode where Matilda, Maddie, asks their synth Anita what her operations per second are. Did you hear, did you hear that? That little. No, I didn't catch have, that. Yeah, they have a conversation um, right around the time where she threatens to shoot her in the head with a BB gun. Where they, she asks, you know, what's your? Because Maddie is the computer expert, computer nerd, I guess you can say. And she asked what her operations are, and she says 29 petaflops, which are, a a petaflop is um, one quadrillion operations, floating point operations flop, uh, per second. Currently, right now, the fastest uh, supercomputer can operate at 20 petaflops. Oh, wow. So it really shows that these things are really beyond what the current modern, in our world, capabilities are for computing, for uh, computers and computing.
0: Yes, very advanced.
1: Sounds
2: like nonsense. (laughs) Sounds like a gibberish word.
1: It's a real word. (laughs) Pedaflop.
0: Sounds like a new dance.
1: (laughs) It will be soon. (laughs) The pedaflop.
0: So now when we return to the show, Joe and Sophie are leaving the showroom floor with their new synth. And they walk her out to the parking lot and they let her drive home. Kind of a nice perk.
1: Which kind of... Makes you wonder how many laws were passed and put through to allow this sort of thing to happen. <laughs> yes. You know, because you know, I'm sure there had to be all sorts of debate like, oh, can a robot really, you know, drive and does it need a license and this and that? And how do you verify it's not going to get into an accident? I guess it's like a, a Google smart car car, kind of. So, but still, I mean, there's a lot of legal ramifications you would think to have since do things like that, you know. Yeah.
2: Well, there are cars that exist that can drive, drive themselves. I saw an episode of Top Gear where there was, like, a BMW or a Lexus that drove around a racetrack that they had.
1: Yeah, the technology definitely exists. It's just, you know, you know there's somebody who had to make a fuss about it. Like, oh, we can't let this synth drive anywhere. You know, it's, it will get in a car accident and we'll know what to do. And it had to be tons of debate and stuff to, to get this passed to make it available for an option yeah. for the synths.
0: Yeah, definitely, because as we'll see later, they, they can malfunction quite badly yeah so now we, we briefly cut back to joe's wife laura at a hotel room and she looks at a picture of her children on her phone and, and we see that she has several missed calls from joe so she's kind of keeping her distance at this point point. and back at the hawkins house joe now surprises the rest of the family with the new synthetic lady including his son toby who seems pretty pleased at the new addition to the family
1: for some reason, if it was a dude, I don't think he would have been too pleased. But he seems pretty happy for some some reason. Yeah, very
0: specific interest he takes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and <laughs> as well as his older sister Matilda, as as Sean mentioned, who's the uh, kind of the the computer genius of the family, and she doesn't seem quite as impressed. Now, as Laura makes her way home now from the train station, we, we see that synthetics are a very big part of everyday life. They're, they're taking train tickets, they're holding bags and cleaning trash, and they're selling newspapers. And that's probably one way to realize that it's from a parallel present and not the future, is that they're selling newspapers.
1: Yeah. Well, you can see Laura's attitude towards the synths, too, by the way she pushes away that newspaper. Yeah. That the, the synth is trying to just get probably give to her. I don't even think he was trying to sell it. Probably like a free journal or something. Yeah. And she just like knocks him away and doesn't even care that he's there. and So she obviously has some some issues with uh, synthetic life forms.
2: It seems like she's got a lot of issues
0: throughout this whole show.
1: <laughs> I feel bad for that poor guy. He's just, you know, doing his job and he doesn't need that kind of crap. You yep. know. Kind of garbage from her.
0: <laughs> and They're pretty much like cars. We see that everyone everyone seems to have one. You know, yeah, almost almost to the point of uh, you know, people owning automobiles,
1: yeah, they're they're right. all over place. The government's buying up, as it says in a later scene. you know, they've invested in these things too. so they're doing a lot of th- different things
0: so when Laura finally arrives home, she's a little surprised by the organized shoes that are next to the door. So she can tell something's a, a little off after being happily greeted by two of the three children. Laura is shocked when uh, the the new family synthetic finally introduces herself.
1: I love this scene uh, right before she comes home when uh, Maddie and her friend uh, shoot the synth in the butt that's across the street. See, was that,
0: that was that in the one you saw, Lily?
1: Maybe not. I don't Maybe it, think so. This I don't could be, a, this is a, okay, here's a, uh, here's a different scene in the one I saw, the British version. Right before Laura comes home, Maddie and her friend, who is, you know, has a, a keen interest in her, they're up in her room and she has a BB gun. And she points out the window, and there's a right across the street. There's a synth, a you know, guy who's like, you know, picking up leaves, minding his own business. And she shoots him in the butt with the BB gun. <laughs> and it's actually kind of funny because the thing like puts his hand on his butt, like stands straight up really quick, stiff, and puts his hand on his butt, like, Oh, well, what just happened here?" It's looking around, and they're cracking up. They dive behind the, the window again, and they're they're laughing at the uh, synth that huh. um, they the shot. That's it's horrible. Very, yeah, it's it's kind of kind of funny but yeah th- again the poor thing is just trying to pick up leaves and be good you know what i mean right right and it gets shot in the butt it's like oh i wonder why they would cut it out in the american version maybe time
0: yeah i would assume that maybe because we probably have more commercials here they have to cut it down to 42 minutes yeah because yeah, when you mentioned earlier about how she was holding the bb gun up to anita i was i'm trying to think of that scene i didn't remember seeing that at all well, that's... Yeah, and
2: I don't remember that either. I was well, like, did I miss something huge <laughs> in plot development here? <laughs> Maybe it's
1: the gun violence thing then. Well, I'll tell you about that now too. It doesn't take place too long after this scene. A little bit further where Maddie is uh, in her room and Anita comes in to get laundry, and Maddie asks her the question about her processing speed because she's interested. Mm-hmm. And basically Maddie just threatens her with a BB gun across the, across the room, going to shoot her in the head mm-hmm. with a BB gun. And when she shoots... Anita dodges it, it hits the wall, you know. Huh.
2: That never... That's weird because Maddie isn't really portrayed as a genius in the... At least from what I can remember from the American version of the episode, it's like she's like the rebel teenager who is like, rah, I hate my parents, I'm gonna flunk classes to get attention kind of character.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely like that in the English version too. Um, but she also has—it's very much implied that she's very smart and intelligent. She has inquisitive about the the synths, and as the series goes on, it comes out more and more. It comes with actually a pretty major plot point. And did they talk about the Asimov laws at all?
0: We only get one mention at the end that they won't hurt anybody because they have Asimov blocks.
1: And that—that's—I remember that is also in the British version. At this point, when Maddie is threatening her with the BB gun basically maddie is upset because she says you have to do what i tell you to do and if i want to shoot you you have to let me shoot you and anita makes a reference to that she will protect herself which is i believe the second or third um three laws of robotics as long as she doesn't harm a human basically she's programmed to protect herself and her her well-being
0: uh the third Um, yeah i think that's the third one
1: yeah, yeah, so she said that she will, that's why she dodged the BB gun shot, was she was going to protect herself and she wasn't going to allow herself to be possibly damaged by See, I know,
2: feel like that shot. would have made Maddie's character a little bit less two-dimensional in the American version.
1: I'm surprised be- they cut that out. Yeah, yeah, they really cut her part down.
2: Yeah, that that's really dumb to me.
1: Yeah, but she was definitely had some, some jealousy, animosity towards Anita, and just,
2: yeah, what? just instantly she hated Anita, and you don't get any backstory. She's not curious about Anita in the American version. She just does not like her because I guess she feels like her parents are copping out.
0: Yeah, that's what it seemed like, or it was, you know, like trying to be a replacement for the mother that doesn't stick around. or the, You know, there's she's a teenager. There could be a lot of angsty problems going on there.
1: Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, I think they were trying to show that. Anita was is different than other synths. And uh, Maddie was surprised when she didn't just say, oh, okay, you can shoot me in the head sort of thing. She's actually kind of rebelling against, you know, and trying to protect herself. So.
0: so now Joe takes Laura aside and they have a discussion in the kitchen. And, and we can tell that this has been an issue in their family for quite a while. And Laura has always told Joe that she does not want a synth around the kids because I guess, you know, like it'll mess with their heads and... She tells him just to take it back, and Joe explains that he's been working hard to take care of the kids while she's been away, and it's really been longer than she's promised, saying like she has no right to waltz back into the house and, and tell him how to run the household.
1: Yeah, he's adamant that she's staying.
2: So here's my wacky question for this episode. I guess it's not so wacky, it's just more a question. Your thoughts and feelings about the synth. Would you want a synth? When What chores would you have it do?
1: Uh, I've been thinking about this because I figured this question would come up. <laughs> and some, someone would ask it, if it was, if not me. I think I would like one and, I don't know, I have to do yard work and things. I have would you hard... ever
2: feel guilty? No. I would feel guilty.
1: I'd be friends with it. I'll talk to it and hang out with it and stuff. And I would let it stay in the house and I would be nice to it and kind to it, I think. But I, you know, stuff I don't want to do, not everyday stuff. I, don't, I think I'll have a hard time letting go of... Just because I'd feel lazy, not doing the normal dinner and that sort of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, more complex tasks that they, it could do, like mowing the lawn and things like that. I, sure, why not? You know, watching the house. I, I think it would be a good security type thing.
0: Yeah, um, that's true too.
1: Let it walk around at night and watch the place. Or if you know, if you're going away on a trip, you could leave the thing home and let it feed the cats and stuff. You know, things like that. I would, I think, would be useful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't have any pets, but that that actually would be a very good use for them is to, to take care of the animals. But yeah, I mean, same almost same thing as Sean. Just like be a groundskeeper, you know, rake the yard, clean out the gutters and, you know, stuff that it's a real pain in the butt to do.
1: Yeah, shovel of snow, you know, things like that.
0: But if it was in this reality, yeah, you know, I think I would, I probably would not want to have one in the first place. But, you know, if I did have to have one, I would I would be, I would be nice to it.
1: Now, another question we can answer at the end of the episode is which one of these synths do you think you would want to have?
2: Oh, uh, That's a good that, question, that we're
1: too. In? Yeah. Hmm.
2: So, I actually, if I had a I would want a synth, first of all, but I wouldn't want it to do any, like, menial tasks. I wouldn't make it do chores or anything that I had to do, because I'm weird and I like ha- doing chores. Like, I like cleaning. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I do, too. But...
2: Yeah. I, you know those like really annoying video games that are only good with two players. <laughs> I would make it be terrible at video games and play with me, so that I would always feel good about myself.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness! I would compliment you every couple minutes. You're a great person. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're fantastic. <laughs> completely <buddy>. self-serving. <laughs> wow. That's, depres- that's depressing.
0: Help me get achievement points.
1: Yeah. 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 They, they cost so much money though. If they're a couple hundred bucks, you know, maybe I don't know.
2: Hey, for the satisfaction, I would get out of that.
1: <laughs> but you got to <laughs> think, too, it's, it's to probably me. like a car because according to the episode and the later uh, synth that just talked about, these things don't last forever. I mean, they're good for like five, six years, it seems like.
0: Yeah.
1: And if you get one that's older than that, it's like you have – you know it's like you have a, an outdated car. So it's not like you can have it for your entire life, really, because it's going to start crapping out. Yeah. Yeah, but well, – That's a that's a big expense. I wonder if you could lease them. You know, like (laughs) as long as you'll scratch them up.
0: If I had to lease a synth, I'd name her Lisa. Yeah, that's
1: good. (laughs) They probably have like a predetermined name. You can't decide.
0: And that that's a similar element to Blade Runner is that these uh, synthetic humans, these replicants, they have a shelf life. Yeah, and that's that's part of what makes a group of them come back to Earth. They have thoughts and feelings, and they don't want to die. They know that they their time is very short.
1: It makes me wonder if there's like a like a certified pre-owned synth business. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, we got this model from like five years ago, and it's it's kind of messed up. <laughs> you know, it might not do everything. Can't, you can't drive it. It can't drive anymore because it'll kill you, but <laughs> it's like half the price, you know. Certified. We go through it, give it a 21-point inspection, and send it on its way. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah, see, that would be my video game synth. Yeah, yeah That's pretty much.
1: And that makes you wonder, too. If this, is there just one company making synths? It seems like it, right? Probably. It does, does seem
2: like Or they not. were smart.
1: Yeah, it's interesting.
0: So now after a moment, the family gathers together in the living room, and they were waiting for her before they, they give her a name, and Sophie suggests Anita after her friend that moved away, and so that's what they decide to name her. So, to confirm the new name, Laura asks Anita what her name is. She replies, Anita Hawkins. And you can tell Laura's kind of creeped out by the way that Anita has now literally inserted herself into the family by using the family surname.
1: Yeah, that is a little creepy. I wonder if that's another sign that she's not quite normal. You know, not quite the usual synth. I don't know if all synths do that. It doesn't seem like they would. Like, my name's Bob, and that's it, you know.
0: Yeah, right. So Joe, you know, tries to put her at ease and, you know, we still have a month to decide. And they were able to afford it because of a special offer. And he mentions about, you know, it'll be less than what they pay for the car. Yeah. So now this kind of caught me by surprise. We, We cut back to five weeks earlier and we see a man named Leo Elster, played by Colin Morgan. And he's there with four synthetics, including Anita. And they're running through a trail in the woods, carrying a generator and supplies. And they had set up camp and they were charging while hiding out. But when the man, Leo, and one of his synthetics that's with him returned, we see that some of the synthetics are actually being dragged back into a van and Anita being one of them. And as Leo runs after them, the van speeds down the forest road and goes back into the city. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, wait, what's this now?
1: The one thing I liked about this scene is that he asked them what their percentage was of their battery life. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're all reading off like one's like 11%, 77%. It's like, oh, these things are as annoying as like an iPhone. You have to keep them <laughs> charged all the time. You know? It's true. It's like, how about if the thing dies in your backyard? It's like raking and it just like falls over. It's like, oh, man, I gotta haul it inside and bring an extension cord out there and plug it back in. It's like, oh.
0: And they're heavy too. I mean, when they bought Anita, she had to be wheeled out.
1: It's not like they're a light or anything. Yeah, it could definitely uh, pain.
0: These aren't the uh, battle droids from the Star Wars prequels.
1: Unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) That would make the show a lot more interesting. Yes. Battle Troids. (laughs) Roger, roger.
0: So now the show goes into a commercial break. So why don't we take this opportunity to take a commercial break ourselves. We'll pay some bills and we'll be right back.
3: My name's Skippy and my best friend Jimmy's older brother is helping us by giving us more bad words so that we can create a database so that you can tell bullies more bad words that they don't even know and get the upper hand on them when they try to give you a hard time at school just imagine the shock on your bully's face when he slams you into a locker and then you turn around and you call him a clavicle he won't know what to do what's he gonna call you after that a poop head i don't think so jimmy's older brother has sold us these words for five dollars a piece so we know they're worth it. Just check out Skiff's database.business. Business Business is spelled with three Z's and ends with like five Z's. There you can start a 30-day free trial, and if you're not satisfied, then don't sign up for it. Just wait for the free trial end. There you'll get a whole array of bad words that you can use that no one else probably even knows what you're talking about. For example, Cashmere, Tangelo, Jay Leno, Blue Blocker, Testa Verdi, Aglet, Balsamic, or even Ferrigno. It's tough being a kid, and it's even tougher not knowing all the bad words, because there's so many, and even more being created every day. So check out my database and sign up for the free trial. Don't miss out, because if you do, you're a stupid credenza.
0: And we're back. Now, when we return, we're in present day as Laura takes out from her travel bag this photo album and she looks at an old picture of her and her mother on the beach in 1985 and then she hides it with the linens. So there's kind of a mystery here. We're not really too sure, but they're giving us all kinds of clues as to a bigger story that's going on.
1: Yeah, it's revealed in their episodes. I would hope so. (laughs) It's not left there. You never see it again. Yeah, it definitely comes around again.
0: We next cut to Leo, along with the synth name Max, played by Ivano Jeremiah. And they're walking the streets with a picture of Anita, and they're trying to track her down. Leo approaches a man who specializes in selling stolen synths, and he gives them the name of Silas Chopic as a lead to follow. Yeah. Now, the name Chopic is a reference to the Czech novelist and playwright Carol Chopic. He was the man that actually coined the term robot. Huh. He wrote the play R-U-R, or Rossum's Universal Robots, and the word robot came from robota, the Czech word for forced labor.
3: <laughs> oh
2: my god, that's dark. <laughs> that's very horrible,
0: yeah. <laughs> and That's where it came from, so they you know, definitely wanted to slip a reference to Mr. Chopic in the show. So we return to the Hawkins household, where Anita has now set up a very elaborate breakfast for the family, and... Matilda's still not impressed, in and going as far as calling Anita a slave of the household, and and even Laura is kind of you know put off by all the work that Anita put in for breakfast, and, and tells her to to sit down.
2: So yeah. what I don't get here is Laura is like disgusted by Anita, but also is like no, come on, stop working so much. I don't want you to do. It's like she she thinks that. She kind of has feelings, but then turns around and doesn't want her in her household.
1: I think she's just freaked out by the entire thing. She doesn't know how to really react. That's the feeling I get.
0: Yeah, I don't think. I guess that's true. Yeah, I don't think she hates the synths. I think she, she has, you know, she feels bad f- for them, and you know, she doesn't know what to make of the situation that they're a part of everyday life or are this growing part of society now.
1: And we get this really awkward scene after this when she sits down and and Joe makes a wonderful joke about was um, <laughs> it Robo chips or something? Microchips. Or microchips. Yeah. yeah. Ro- ro- robo chips. Microchips. And she laughs. Anita laughs. And she just won't stop. <laughs> and everybody's like kind of staring at her, like you know, they have to tell her to shut up, basically. Yes. because um, she doesn't get it. She does what she's told, basically.
0: Yes. She's almost human, but we definitely see. Yeah, not quite. We then cut to the house of Dr. George Milliken, played by William Hurt, and two ladies ring his doorbell, and the doorbell's right under a note that says no visitors, so we we see right away what kind of person he is. And one is a synth, and the other is a caseworker, who is concerned that he skipped all of his appointments with them. I believe she's from the National Health Service in the UK.
1: He's an American, it seems like. Yeah. He's not British it seems he's an American accent so Right I, I thought it was interesting and you know basically she needs to check on the status of his caregiver unit and he says he's not home and he has this you know nurse ratchet type one looking at him um, Yeah Vera And basically this is the scene where they stay the government has purchased you know 500,000 of these things basically they got to du- get rid of them and use them somehow Yeah to justify the money they dumped into them So he's going to get a new one whether he likes it or not basically
0: We see that George Milliken has a synth that's of the original D-series.
1: Yes. And uh, honestly, this is my favorite character in the entire show. (laughs) If they made a show just about this synth, I would be happy. Odie is is fantastic.
0: Yes, because after they leave, George then opens his, I guess it's like an armoire or something. And it reveals his synth, a young man, like Sean said, named Odie. And Odie believes that they were playing a game of hide and seek the whole time.
1: Oh, George, you found me. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> he's such a mess, and he has that like blue coming out of his nose, like he's all messed up. and
0: Yeah, very much in disrepair.
1: Yeah, it cracks me up. I love this thing.
0: You can see why they made a whole series of appointments to try to replace him for something that runs ten times better, but George does not want to get rid of Odie to the point of you know hiding him, smuggling him.
1: He's like, oh, can I get you some tea and biscuits or something? I oh, forget yeah, what the exact line is. Yeah. I love Odie. He's he's great. And obviously you can see the connection his his wife, you know, as the go- episode goes on, he he loves this thing like a son. Yeah. Cuz his wife, you know, who's passed away, it was there synth, and he doesn't want to get rid of it for that reason. You know, it's like part of her.
0: And he retains a lot of specific memories and and we kind of get the sense that George is starting to suffer some memory loss. Yeah. And and Odie definitely helps him fill in the gaps in his memory, although Odie is really starting to fail
1: they're both failing oh this is the the coat your wife wore to you know her cousin's wedding 20 years ago or whatever
0: oh yeah it was the 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 niece regurgitated on the jacket he remembered that yes yeah so like he can look at things and and tell him the whole history of specific items or as we'll see later looking at a photo album and telling him the whole scenario of what happened when the photo was taken yep So back at the Hawkins household, we see that Matilda is upset with her mother for going away to work all the time and barely checking in. And we have another scene, kind of creepy, where Anita is looking in on Sophie sleeping. And Laura is a little unnerved by this and tells Anita, just, you know, don't check in on Sophie anymore. Yeah. And Laura's starting to be ever more concerned now with the presence of Anita in in the household.
1: Makes you wonder, like, is this normal behavior for these things? Or is she justified in, you know, is Laura justified in her concern? Or is she just paranoid? So, you're not quite sure yet. And Anita makes it seem like this is just, you know, running a program, basically.
0: Right. So we cut to commercial. And when we return, we see Joe and Laura are having a conversation in the bedroom. And Joe tells Laura that, you know, he understands how she needs time alone, especially since she lost her mom and dad so young in life. But in the last two years, he feels avoided, and he's not sure how much she actually wants to come home. And he explains that he purchased Anita in the first place so that Laura and the family can have more time together. We next cut back to Leo and Max, and they're getting a call from a synth named Fred. He was part of that original group, and he agrees to meet them at the rendezvous point in one hour. In our next scene, we see this big indoor farming operation in which synths are picking, I guess, peppers, it looks like.
1: Feels like oranges or something.
0: No, because he so, b- he bites right into one of them, doesn't he?
1: I uh, maybe they're different kinds of fruit. I don't
0: know. <laughs> I don't know yeah. Maybe just a fictional fruit. And uh, we see a man. It's Professor Edwin Hobb, and he's an artificial intelligence researcher, played by Danny Webb. And he approaches the synth with a number forty-one burned into his arm, or it's some sort of marking on his arm. And he asks if he had pre- any previous owners, and you know he says that he has not. Hob can tell right away that he's lying. And the synth kind of explains, you know, he's incapable of lying, but the professor explains, no, you're you're a different type of synth. And even I think he refers to him by the name Fred here, kind of letting him know that he knows who he is. Yeah. And he shows Fred evidence of a cell phone that was behind his charging point and tells him not to run. So of course Fred runs. He's darted in the back and he falls and he's powered down and we see him later now being gurneyed into this government facility and Leo and Max are now waiting at the rendezvous point for Fred, but he never shows up.
1: Yeah. So there's some kind of conspiracy, some deeper conspiracy with the government that's going on that they're trying to track these students down, which we learn about later on in yeah. the episodes.
0: And we're, we're starting to get the indication already that there's something different about <laughs> these ones. So now we cut to a supermarket, and Doctor George Milliken and Odie are shopping. And uh, here we get a scene where Odie starts to malfunction.
1: Yeah, he doesn't. He likes apricot. It's his favorite kind.
0: <laughs> so he, he smash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he sees this like I don't know some sort of sauce or something, apricot flavored, and he just keeps saying, "Your favorite is apricot," and just drops. Yeah. Starts to drop him.
1: And they sucks that woman in the face which is pretty hilarious
0: yeah he the, the employees are trying to you know find out who he belongs to and but he doesn't even really like punch her on purpose I think he's just making that motion of grabbing yeah. the bottle and I think they defend themselves very lightly but uh, yeah it seems like a very accidental motion that punches her right in the face.
1: We see a few scenes later that he's obviously messed up. So, I mean, it's not like he's doing it intentionally.
0: No, no, no. Not at all. So he's tackled by security, and all they do is touch him on the chin, and he powers down. They seem pretty vulnerable in that respect.
1: Yeah, just on the chin. That's it.
0: So back at the Hawkins household, Joe and Laura receive a letter saying that Matilda has gone from an A to a D in computers, and this is like we were talking about where we get, this is at least in the American version, the only indication that we get that she's actually a very, very bright young lady, but she's just not applying herself because she feels that there's no use. Like, she even mentions that she could learn to be a doctor in seven years, but in that time... You know a synth could be turned into a brain surgeon in seven seconds so what's yeah. what's the point of learning
1: and the BB gun scene happened right before this oh, okay yeah
0: Yep. Yeah, completely cut in our version now we get a, a weird scene now where Anita is looking at a picture of Laura holding one of the children and Anita starts to have these strange flashbacks that look to be of a drowning or something it's very very quick
1: yeah, yeah, she, she flashes back to something going on. he has got some issues.
0: So meanwhile, back at the supermarket, George is met by Drummond and Voss of the Special Technologies Task Force. And I guess these are officers that deal with synthetic-related matters, and they've arrived to investigate the incident with Odie. Drummond's just trying to explain to George that, listen, Odie's junk, and it's really the law that you recycle him anyway. And George just pleading with him, saying, you know, I can fix him, or, or I can have him fixed. He kind of catches himself there. Yeah, and, yeah. And he, he really needs him. And and Drummond, you know, he feels bad for this guy. And he, he says, listen, I'll let you take him home, but Odie has to go that day.
1: I think not too long after this, or immediately following this, is the, the scene where he's repairing him. Yes. I guess repairing a synth is used, using dental tools to do that <laughs> in his mouth. <laughs> Which is kind of strange. You think there'd be a port or something? There actually is in future episodes. Yeah. Plug into to fix them. And obviously, as we see there, Odie is still screwed up. He has all sorts of formatting errors, and he, you know, which is kind of cool. He could tell you what's going on with him.
0: Yeah, and even before this, now he takes out a old family album, and he has a picture of his late wife Mary, and Odie just can't remember what's happening. So we we take a commercial break again here, and when we return, we see Drummond. This officer going back to his apartment, and synths are very much a part of his life as well. His wife is getting physical therapy from a synth and, and quite enjoying the time with him. Yeah. We see that she's suffered some sort of accident, and Dr- she's being taken off to the bath by her synth. A <laughs> totally
1: mixed synth there, yeah.
0: Yeah, Drummond seems kind of annoyed by the whole situation.
1: He's kind of dumpy, so she must feel threatened, obviously, in this thing. <laughs> She seems to have a, having a good old time with him, with the synth, so... It's obviously, And it manifests itself, I think, later on in the series, so...
0: So at the Hawkins' house, we see Anita's reading to Sophie, but Laura asked her to stop, uh, despite Sophie's disappointment, and she said that Anita doesn't rush through the stories, you know, like you do. It's like, ooh. Yeah, burn. Laura then orders <laughs> Anita never to touch Sophie, and Anita explains that, you know, she's unable to. She can't. And she explains a whole laundry list of protocols of why she wouldn't. And Laura, you know, kind of just says, you're just a stupid machine, aren't you? And Anita looks back at her and just says, yes, Laura. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm surprised she said that, you know. It's kind of like, I don't, you know, I'm kind of actually pretty smart. I have, you know, 20, 30 pet-a-flops a second processing <laughs> yeah. here.
0: And as we'll see later, these special synths you know, are pretty much just like people. They they talk like normal people. Yeah. So to actually say something like, like this to somebody, like, you know, you're just stupid, aren't you? You know, she really has to play the part if, you know, she's not just reprogrammed at this point. Right. So we cut back to Leo and Max on the street. Max is asking Leo about Fred quite loudly. And Leo warns him, you know, you can't be that loud. You can't reveal who we are in public. And if they ever found out who he really was, it would be the end for all of them. And we we find out that this synth, Max, he's a little different from the others. He seems to be uh, a little slower, has a harder time grasping things than the others. Yeah. It's probably why Leo takes him personally along with him while has the rest, you know, fend for themselves.
1: Because this one couldn't do it. He couldn't get along by himself.
0: Yeah, so he, he's there to help him.
1: I feel bad for that poor guy in the street who overhears him saying that. And Leo kind of tells him to get lost, basically, in English slang. And the guy's like, oh, kind of scuffles away.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So then Leo has Max wait, and he enters into a building with a neon sign of a heart with two gears. If any of you have watched Futurama, you know immediately what a heart with two gears means. It's got to be some sort of robot brothel. And that's exactly what it is. And uh, <laughs> this, this, this just reminded me of the whole Lucy Lou robot.
2: How come we Americans don't get the gun violence, but we get the brothel scene? That's kind of
1: well, dumb. Let me ask you this at this point. How much language is there in the American version?
2: I think there's
0: none.
1: None. Yeah, like, not, cl- not
0: really much. The kids kind of exchange a couple of British slang insults. Yeah, but well, uh, I can not- tell you,
1: in, in the English version, there was one F bomb during this upcoming scene, and there was at least a couple um, S words throughout the entire um, episode.
0: Huh. Yeah, but they cut all that out sure, here. Sure.
2: Let's just put the. Um, women synths being objectified in the American version, but take out the filthy language and the gun violence. E- exactly, yeah.
1: <laughs> and it really goes into this next scene when Leo is was was, uh, basically reintroduced to the synth, which is Niska, the, the prostitute synth, yeah. who basically seems the most, I would say, rebellious and lifelike, human-like, the ones yeah. we've seen so far. And basically, she thinks that he's there to get him, get her out of there, and he can't do that. He's just informing her that, you know, Fred didn't make the, the meet, the drop, and they have to change their plans a little bit. And this is where the F-bomb comes into play in, in this scene. It basically, I, in the British version, she ruffles him up a little bit, I guess you can say, to make it seem like that there was some kind of actual purchases going on or transaction going on. So when this yeah. looks so suspicious. Did she do yeah. that in the American version, too? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. And that's where she says the the F-bomb at that point. I see. So I don't know how they, they phrased it in the American version, but when she was explaining what she was doing, when he asked, like, hey, what are you doing, you know, touching him and stuff, she drops it there. So just for any of you eagle ears out there who want to listen for it in the British version. <laughs> <laughs> eagle ears. Eagle ears. Because they have good hearing, too. You don't know that. Sure. But they do.
0: So Leo tells Niska, you know, like, because something happened to Fred and they can't find Mia, which is a name that we hear for the first time here, she's better off just staying there for now. Just, that's pretty much the safest place, unfortunately, but that's where she has to stay. And uh, he asked if she turned off her pain, and she said no, she was meant to feel. Huh. So back at that government facility, they want to examine Fred, but Professor Hobb, even though he was responsible for bringing him in, he won't let them touch him, saying that no, he's an actual conscious machine, not just a simulation of one. And it's revealed to us here that Hobb had been given this unlimited government budget, yeah, all because he claimed that there are a handful of synthetics who can think and feel like humans.
1: And at this point, you can kind of tell they really are, are getting at their uh, the last straw with this guy. And they don't think he's, he's really producing, or he's, you know, he what he's talking about at this point.
0: Yeah. And Hobb now goes off to give us a whole bunch of exposition here for the series. He, he mentions that uh, he knew a man named David Elster, whose goal was to create what he termed machine life, and that instead of actual life, they're rather a parody of it, which is what makes them so dangerous. Uh, We also get an explanation of the Singularity, which is John von Neumann's theory that the future will inevitably result in technology surpassing humanity. Explaining that these synths could be the very first sign of something like that happening. Hobb also explains that Elster was able to give these handful of synths a consciousness and since it was possible to do it for them, it's now possible probably to do that for the others as well. And at that point, the Synths would no longer wish to slave away for the humans, who are now becoming increasingly dependent on their labor.
1: Yep. And it's also mentioned as the Asimov blocks in this scene, going back to the three laws of robotics, which very briefly are number one is a robot must not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. A robot must obey orders given by human beings, except for such orders would conflict with the first law. It's the second law. Third law, a robot must protect its own existence, as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So those are the hard-coded laws that are supposed to be in all these, these sins, basically, to ensure they don't hurt humans and that they, you know, through inaction or through action, hurt a human.
0: And we see Fred get reactivated on the table as they go to commercial. When we return, we see George Milliken's house, where he continues to work on Odie, and he, he's saying that he can't be recycled because there's things that he knows. And we get the old yeller moment here where George tearfully kisses Odie on the top of the head and pretty much prepares to bash his head in with a hammer. But at the last second, Odie remembers something from the photo album, and uh, George spares him, even though Odie's still having these terrible glitches.
1: I guess that's the most efficient way to get rid of a, a robot or a synth is to bash it in the head with a hammer. <laughs> I
0: guess.
1: <laughs> Preferred recycling <laughs> method, I guess. There's no other way to you know deactivate it or anything. Just got bash it in the head with a hammer. So. <laughs> yeah,
2: and couldn't he have turned him off before he did this? Why is he going to do it while he's alive? Yeah, that's true, he,
0: too, he, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't even think of that.
1: <laughs> you think he'd just turn them off and say, okay, I'll just turn them off for now and put them in a, a chest somewhere or something or a closet and just leave them there, you know? What's the big deal? Yeah. You don't have to keep them on all the time. I mean, maybe, you know, get them fixed later on. But there's a sense of urgency, like he has to be fixed now sort of deal.
0: So back at the Hawkins' house, Anita helps prepare dinner. Laura asks her about the music being played. She's really trying to find out if she's able to understand things on a deeper level. And Anita understands that it's played well on a technical level but she says that she doesn't understand really any more than that Mm. and there's there's a scene next where sophie runs into the kitchen to say goodnight, and rather than allowing sophie to get hurt by the hot lasagna pan i guess she what does she stand still and then laura kind of gets burned on her arm
1: yeah she like blocks her from getting close to the close to the oven
0: and basically anita explains she was prioritizing the risk to sophie and that's why that happened
1: I think she just doesn't like Laura and, you know, wanted to burn her. <laughs> Can't
2: say I blame her at this point. Yeah. Uh, You're just a stupid machine. Yeah, really.
1: You <laughs> were well, <it was> <laughs> stupid five minutes ago, and now, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to burn you the pan then. How stupid am I now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> You're <Yeah, laughs> the one that got burned here.
0: <laughs> so later, as Anita is ironing laundry, the family is sitting in the living room, and they're watching, of course, Channel 4 UK. Okay, and that's funny. There's a news program where a man named Dr. Day Sun is being interviewed about artificial intelligence. Now, did he, does he show up later on in the series at all?
1: Not that I remember, no.
0: Okay, I was just wondering because he is specifically given the name Dr. Day Sun. And he's advocating for human-like machines as a way to eliminate dangerous jobs. And Matilda's kind of upset by what she's hearing and basically saying, you know, what are we supposed to be, all poets and artists or something? And... She shuts off the TV, and it starts a whole argument amongst the kids, and they're all just sent off to bed.
1: Yeah. And this is the scene with the uh, the manual, correct? Yes. Yeah, and he finds the naughty adult options, because you can have sex with these things, believe it or not. <laughs> um, they're not just there to pick up leaves. They're other things. You think this really shows a character where he's going with this thing. Uh, it's not too much of a surprise, because he, he, he could just throw it away. You know right. what I mean? He's neat today. He's like, oh, this is disgusting. I'm going like, to get rid of this. And he kind of like looks around make sure the kids aren't watching and pockets it. So you can kind of see where it's going down the road.
0: So then we cut to that night as Laura hears a door open downstairs while she's in bed. And, and she tells Joe to investigate, but he just says, you know, Matilda's probably smoking again. And so Laura herself goes downstairs to investigate. And she finds Anita in the yard staring up at the moon. You know, Laura orders her to go back in, and Anita apologizes and, and comments how beautiful the moon looks. And of course, we pretty much figured it out from the very first scene of the show, but Anita is that synth in the warehouse looking up at the moon, and mm-hmm. here she is doing it again. It's much like the movie Short Circuit, when uh, Steve Gutenberg and Ali Sheedy were surprised when Johnny No. 5 saw the beautiful butterfly in the Rorschach test. Yeah, that's what it reminded a good <laughs> And, you know, Laura's really creeped out now because she's saying, you know, they're not supposed to ask questions like that. They're not yeah. supposed to have accidents either.
1: But you still have this feeling of, is she just paranoid? I, I I felt that way watching this episode. Like, is she just really paranoid? Maybe they are supposed to act like this. You don't know what's going on, really. and It, it progresses as the series goes on, let's put that way.
0: Later, we see Leo and Max hiding out in an auto yard. Leo tells Max that he will find her because he loves her. You know, there, there's all these, you know, parts of the mystery starting to come together. Mm. I think he's also bleeding mm. at this point that we see, too.
1: He is, yeah.
0: Yeah, we'll find out more about that later. Back in the interview, Dr. Day's son is asked about would it be possible to create a fully sentient artificial human? And, you know, he just kind of says, how can we replicate something we hardly understand in ourselves? And how would we even know if we succeeded? And there's just so many problems to solve before we get there. Mm. And uh, he's you know, asking questions like, what is love? Is it something we're born with? Can it be learned? And we're starting to see this montage that finishes this episode. We see Laura bringing a stuffed giraffe to Sophie as she sleeps in bed. We see Nista in what we'll call a business meeting. And we see uh, George with Odie. And then we see Anita standing in Sophie's room as she sleeps. And she stares at the window, and we here we get... Another flashback to a person trapped in a car underwater. We see a little bit more of what this is now. Yeah. So finally we cut to the toy giraffe on the floor near the open front door and we see Anita carrying the sleeping Sophie into the night and giving her a kiss on the cheek. And that's where the episode leaves us.
1: Now this is a, I'm guessing um that the business meeting we talked about a second <laughs> ago oh, yeah. not yes. to go any more details. I'm guessing in the American version, was that pretty explicit?
0: It was, yeah, it was pretty shocking for a TV-14 episode.
1: I was shocked by it. I'm like, oh my god, what's going, what is this? Yeah. Not that there was any nudity or anything, but obviously the business meeting was, you know, progressing. I'm, I'm just shocked hearing about <laughs> your guys, uh, about the American version, that they would cut out the BB gun parts, but not cut out this. I thought this yeah. for sure would get a, you know, a cutting room on the American version. Because um, it was, it was explicit.
0: So, what were your thoughts now upon watching this episode?
1: Um,
2: I thought it was pretty good. Um, it's not necessarily like up my alley as far as shows that I would like, but I thought it was well done, especially the, like the the acting for the synths and how they chose to animate them with very little special effects. I think, for me, I would need to watch more episodes to really get into it. Because I'm not a huge mystery person either. I'm too impatient for that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I need, like, instant gratification right now. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. And going back to Sean's question from earlier about which synth I would want. I would want one of the human synths. I wouldn't want, like, one that was definitely a robot synth. So I'd probably just have to say Anita because that's the one because I would treat her like a, a buddy, that played video games with me. So, <laughs> okay,
1: uh, I think we know my thoughts. I kind of expressed them at the beginning of the episode about uh, humans. I think it's great. Um, I think it, you know, it's uh, like a previous show we watched. I forget which one, whereas a pilot episode, you gotta give it some time, and it does get more interesting. Uh, very quickly too. It doesn't like drag out for the entire series. So within the first couple episodes, if this one didn't really do anything to you, it gets better, I guess. So stick with it. If you, if you saw this, and you're like, I don't know. Just give it a couple more episodes, and I think it's it'll grow on you. And of course, I'm I'm really into this kind of robot stuff. So the robot I would choose to have is of course Odie, because <laughs> he's just fantastic, and he'd be my friend, and he could buy me apricots. So there you go. That's true. I could fix him.
0: Yeah, you know, I I liked this show a lot. I was surprised. I I saw commercials for it around the time when I think Mad Men was ending. So, like, AMC was trying to usher in their their new programming to fill in the gaps there. And uh, at first, I really didn't think much of it. You know, I figured this was standard, like, sci-fi channel fare. But, no, this was uh, an excellent show. And, like I said, it reminds me very much of Blade Runner who also handled the deeper philosophical questions about what it means to be human in the midst of this kind of cool sci-fi story. And so I was very pleasantly surprised. And I will have to go back and and finish the rest of the season and and see where it goes from there. As far as which synth I would have, uh, I don't know, I'd probably be like Lily and pick Anita. I also like to look at the moon and eat lasagna, so... That works out perfectly.
3: You're
1: a Garfield, too, then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like Mondays.
1: Yeah, sure, why not?
0: So as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this show, Humans, was based on the Swedish show Ekta Manikor, which ran in 2012. Now, before this episode, I reached out to a guy in Sweden, Daniel Oyent Latva. He couldn't join us for the show, but he, he did send along his notes, so I'd like to read this for us. He said... I enjoyed the pilot of Ecta Merkor. I'm glad I took the time to see it. I might have to give the whole season a chance. He said I've heard mixed reviews of it, mostly about it not really bringing anything new to the whole sci-fi, robots, in-society genre. And I agree to that at least as far as the pilot goes. I've always had trouble with characters treating robots like crap, or it's been done over and over so it feels like a cliché almost. I actually don't feel people would do that. The best scene is when The dad is having a father-son conversation about him not doing any funny business with their new female Hubot while she sits next to them. It's awkward and fantastic.
1: Wow, I'm surprised they put that. That's weird. (laughs) And
0: I I should, as as an aside to this email, I should mention that in the Swedish version, they are called Hubots. They're not called synths. Hubots. Kind of a portmanteau of human and robot. He goes on to say there will be no third season of Ekta in Sweden as the ratings dropped to the point that SVT, Swedish Television, decided to pull the plug. Pun intended. I read an interview with the show's creator Lars Lundström in which he's dumbstruck as to why the Swedish version didn't work out when the British version became the biggest success of that channel thus far. He says that there are some plans to finish this story with a feature film as for example firefly but there isn't a big enough fan base to motivate it commercially
1: that's interesting you would think it would be somewhat uh, a fan base for it yeah they would want to get some kind of conclusion i'm sure they probably ended up on a cliffhanger or something
0: so the british version is going to take a different direction than intended with ectomaniacor and daniel if you're listening i'm i apologize for my terrible swedish pronunciation of the show daniel goes on to say that the british screenwriters are now in full control of the story
1: Oh, because it kind of followed the same path, I guess, for the first couple seasons, then they were branching off. Yeah. Kind of like The Office in the UK and the US versions.
0: He said, as a parenthesis, SVT is the National Public Service Broadcaster and is funded by a TV license fee that everybody hates paying. And they have a policy that they always need to have a detailed treatment of any project they decide to produce. So it doesn't matter if a show proves to be a great success and is sold to a lot of countries. Before they can greenlight a second season of that show, they need a detailed treatment of that as well.
1: So licensing feeds or TV, that's, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, very different way of doing things.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: He says, visually, from what I've seen of humans, I think Ekta Menechor has better hubots, or, you know, synths and humans. And he, he shows me a picture of Odie, and he says, right out of the uncanny valley, and it's perfect. But he says, but... As almost always in Swedish productions, the costume design is way overworked. Look at these medieval hipsters. And he's he shows me here a picture of the group of synths that are hiding out with the uh, character. Like we have Leo and humans, you know, the ones that are hiding out. Yeah. And they are yeah they're dressed up like he said medieval hipsters. It's it's are very. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, they're,
1: like they're wearing like futuristic type, medieval type clothing not just camping or hiking attire
0: there's a lot of like weird like leather and picture like all the mutants in the woods and at the end of x-men the last stand yeah Oh, okay gotcha <laughs> you that kind of idea enough said and his, his final point is that it it may be worth noting that ekta manahor had 60 minute episodes while humans are at about 45 which of course affects the pacing hmm So that's interesting, too. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot more time to work with, and it could, yeah, definitely affect the pacing of the show.
1: It's interesting, yeah.
0: Just in my own research of the the Swedish show, a couple of things I noticed that were pretty funny were that they have, like, a USB port to charge with.
1: Yeah, and that appears also in the um, uh, British version. Does it? Yeah, like, there's that scene in the the episode we watched, well, the AMC version, I'm guessing, too, the pilot where she's sitting down at night and like Laura's kind of staring at her to see if she reacts it was that seen in the
0: Oh yeah but her port is like round it's like more of like a
1: oh okay so the Swedish one is actually it's more standardized to USB yeah which makes sense yeah
0: I thought that was pretty funny and a lot of character names are the same there's there's Vera as a synth there's Anita is the main synth she's also uh, Asian in appearance. Played by an Asian actress. There's also a synth named Niska. There's also a synth named Odie. And we also, in the first episode, get a scene where the Odie character drops bottles onto the ground at a supermarket. But I noticed when I I was able to catch a little bit of it. And I noticed when they attacked Odie, he really slaps back. He really uh, defends himself more.
1: Mm. Where it's not like a a system fault. More like he's defending himself and more self-aware. Yeah.
0: But there's a a lot of similar things in both pilots. But, of course, the family names are changed. We see more of a British family in the British version with the surname Hawkins, of course. Mm -hmm. And the Swedish version shows a lot more of how the Hubots or synths are recycled.
1: Oh, really? I want to see that.
0: Yeah, there's actually a a recycling plant. You see them going up a conveyor belt and just kind of like falling in headfirst.
1: It's like gear spinning and grinding and stuff
0: pretty much a giant version of what you'd see at the supermarket to recycle your bottles and cans. <laughs>
1: they should have one of those like machines like we have here where you put the can in and it gives you a coupon. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. You shove exactly. your, your Synth head first into this big hole and it, you know, spits out five cents, gets you a little voucher.
0: Get, yeah. Synth voucher.
1: <laughs> but it's like a hundred bucks. You know, it's like five cents. You to bring it to the currency desk and get it turned in for actual money. Yeah. yeah. A new Synth.
0: A lot of, Similar elements exist between the two, but like Daniel said here, now the, the British showrunners are completely in charge of where the story goes from here on out. Now that the Swedish one is over, and probably won't be renewed for a third season.
1: Let's hope they don't screw it up.
0: I know. So, a big thank you to Daniel for watching the show for us, and giving us uh, some insight. Very much appreciated. Very interesting to compare the, the two versions
1: Yes, thank you, Daniel. That was very insightful. We appreciate that your comments and Sky. I gotta say, your your Swedish punctuations were were perfect. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm being, sure. Being part Swedish myself, I can you know tell a difference. So it, it was right on. Good job.
0: Daniel can correct me. Uh, everybody, I, I encourage you to to follow Daniel on Twitter. He's on Twitter at Daniel Latva. It's D A N I E L O J A N. L-A-T-V-A. And especially follow Daniel on Vine. His name is Daniel Ollant-Latva there as well. And his Vines are incredible. It's just amazing, amazing work. He he has a lot of uh, stop-motion animation. A lot of it has to do with pop culture. A lot of Star Wars, a lot of Spider-Man, a lot of Ghostbusters. Things of that nature. And just incredible work. And definitely worth checking out and definitely follow him very very talented guy and uh, hopefully we can have him on the show in the future
1: yeah definitely i would love to talk to him in my, our native tongue
0: <laughs> yeah all right well that'll pretty much do it for this episode of hitting play as always you can email us with your comments suggestions whether or not you like apricot whatever you got at hitting play at gmail.com or you can talk to us on twitter at hitting play now do you have anything you want to plug
2: I'm um, Sure. Uh, if you like video games, check me out on YouTube at Lilliputian22. Um, I'm also on Twitter under the same handle.
1: I have nothing this week, thank you.
0: <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, I'm on Twitter. My name is at MC and Friends there. You can find me there. And I'm also on Vine. There my name is also MC and Friends. And there I do flip page animation and humorous cartoons. You can check me out there. And also, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It definitely helps us out. And if you do, we will give you a shout-out on the show. You can also tap to rate us five stars right there on our iTunes page. And anything you can do to help us in that respect is very much appreciated. Well, we have been Lily, Sean, and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.